0: This episode is brought to you by the Ivy Box, a joy in a box that you receive monthly for a very, very low price. However, all the items within this box is worth so much more than you would ever pay for it. If you're a member of the Alpha Gap Alpha Sorority Incorporated, please visit the Ivy Storehouse, www.ivystorehouse.com, and get your box today.
1: Welcome to Cadence in the Clouds podcast where we share inspiration and best practices while on your purpose journey with host Karen St. Hilaire. For this
0: episode I want you to call your friends with kids that's getting ready to go to college that's thinking about college or any other trade school anything post high school graduation. I need them to hear this episode share it with a friend and post it on your social media pages. Let's get into it. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Cadence in the Clouds. This week's guest is the one and only Dr. Karen Williams. She's an educational consultant that every one of my listeners need to be in touch with. Whether you have a child going to college, thinking about college, looking at college, anything college, anything education, this woman is the go to person. I swear by her, she's a good friend. She's knowledgeable in the field, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm introducing you to Dr. Karen Williams. Hi, Dr. Karen. Hello. Hello, Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for saying yes. You know, this is the season where most individuals are, you know, having their kids think about what school they want to go to and and financial aid and and writing essays and just getting their packets together. And I think that it's important to have you, a master thinker and a master in this field, speak to that and and educate our listeners so that they can share with their family and friends. But before we go into all of that, Dr.
1: Karen, tell us, Who Dr. Karen is? Who are you? Again, thanks for having me, and thanks for listening, everyone. Who am I? I consider myself an educator activist, um, a problem solver, and an influencer. Um, Particularly related to education, there are many myths and many things that we are told about education and you know as good parents and, and family members we believe those things and sometimes um, we're, we're given misinformation and so that's where the activist role comes in for me um, that's what I love to do I love clearing up misconceptions helping to individualize plans for students who need it and when I say individualized plans sometimes the general information that is put out there in an educational space does not take into consideration socioeconomic status doesn't take into consideration lifestyle um, the, the the whole way of, of, of praxis and, and the methods of teaching focus on one type of student um, and not all types of students. And so I feel my work really is to make sure that the needs of all students are considered in terms of their goals and what what families want for their students. And in general, um, as a problem solver and an influencer, I work in higher education and um, there are opportunities to really educate colleagues about what students need and to Get problems out of students' way. Sometimes it, it can be the smallest of of things that would really um, dismantle a students' goals. And uh, this is why you see so many students not moving through because no one is paying attention to the the problems, um, the the non academic problems, I should say. So, um, and, and as an influencer, I try to have conversations with people who are in the position to make change and let them know what I'm seeing and how they can make those changes. I sometimes find when you can make recommendations to make a problem fix easy, folks fix it. <laughs> this is all right,
0: sound up to be great. So that's who you are. But now tell me what you love to do. What do you absolutely love to do? What brings you joy? Like you wake up in the morning, you're like, yes, if I tackle this and I actually execute it to the fullest extent, I am experiencing full bliss. What does that thing?:
1: The one thing that makes me happiest, whether I'm advising a student about college or whether I'm talking to the president of a college, and the one thing I love most is removing barriers and clearing up misconceptions. Um, there are things that we think based on our circumstances, based on who we are demographically and what we're exposed to. And sometimes whether you're in charge of running a system, or you're part of the system and or are trying to benefit from the system you may not be exposed to what someone else is going through you may not be exposed to the real problems if you're leading an institution you may not be exposed to the different styles of education the different styles of colleges that exist you know, as a student looking to get in, you may not understand that there is a place for you, that there are people who care about what you care about and can help you get to where you need to go. And so I love those moments when I'm explaining something based on what I've seen in education and a light bulb goes on. When someone believes in a, or, or you know their their own experience. It could be their own experience as educators. But when you get some information to the contrary, and they really begin to believe what you're saying, that moment brings me joy because there's hope, there's a possibility for a plan, there's a possibility for change. And so that's really what I most that's what makes me happiest. Um, also to being a good, um, a person who connects people. I, I, you know, I have really, really good friends. I consider myself a good friend. And sometimes, you know, I consider my friends my family. And, and so for people who are important to me um, and the people who are important to them, I try to connect causes and people. I find that I have been placed in a position where I receive a lot of information and it's almost, I think it's divine when I'm placed in the position to connect a person who has a problem or an issue to the person who can solve it. So it's not always me. I, I'm very clear about the fact that I'm a better connector than I am anything else. And so um, just connecting folks who can move problems out of the way, who can think higher, do more, um, serve our children better, serve our young people better. Um, I, I love being a connector. That, that, that wakes me up every day. Like, how can I get this person to this person to move a cause forward? And, and sometimes just to stand back and watch that process is, is the best. What also awesome. makes me happy is brunch. <laughs> Brunch. I love brunch. And actually, many, many connections and causes and businesses and things move forward over brunch. Over brunch. Okay. What makes you happy (laughs) is brunch. I love it. Um, But here,
0: tell us, like, um, when you started working in your purpose, which is the whole field of higher ed, um, Mm -hmm. and then looking at the individual trying to get to that next level and seeing that there were so many hurdles that they had to overcome just to, you know, find a space, find a school, find a seat. And then even if they did find a school, they had the other hurdle of paying for it. When you, you, when did you understand that this had to be that purposeful walk that you needed to insert yourself into and, and create a path that would be easy, easier I don't want to say easy because it's not an easy thing, easy year for, you know, the population of young kids getting ready to go to school.
1: So um, the game changer and the thing that sparked this work in me is when I started working um, at this small liberal arts college more than 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago, actually, Um and I was interested in equity in education. Just what what do some students have access to and other students don't have access to? And, and how can we create more access to college in general for students who were like me? And so um, I joined this college in the admission office, actually, as um, the Director of Multicultural Recruitment. And what I found quickly um, was that <laughs> I had no clue. I had absolutely no clue. The, the level, the style of education, the access to education, the, the pouring into students, um, that, and, and the benefits that some students were receiving versus others was was mind-blowing. Now, I had always known there was inequity in education, certainly from a financial perspective, but just even in styles of education. So, you know, traditional school versus homeschooling versus things like the Harkness method, you know, and just really starting to look at what some students were getting and why they were flourishing and. Why why students who looked like my children um, and and some other people's children, depending on your socioeconomic status, why they were struggling. And um, I started to do private advisement to give families a leg up, to give, you know, to help families work within the system that they were in um, and get them as far as they could go. Uh, Parents, you know, oftentimes we... We go based on recommendations of other families based on, you know, what we've heard, reputational, um, you know, reputation about the school to say, yes, this is a good school for my child. But the school that's good for, that's allegedly good, isn't always good for your child. Mm -hmm. And I read um, in graduate school a book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And the Pedagogy of the Oppressed talked about the concept of uh, inequity in education and this whole banker mentality, banking mentality in education where the teacher was the expert and they simply just poured knowledge into a student and accept, you know, expected students just to retain that and accept that. Um, which is fine if what you're learning is connected to who you are and who your what your lifestyle is, so say for example if if the canon the literary canon is all based on wealthy white men and 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 you are that person, you know and you come from that background, um, that information is relevant to you and you're more likely to retain it, but most students are not, and in fact, even among higher socioeconomic classes, you have classrooms where the teacher understands that they need to come in as a teacher-student with a willingness to learn and validate and incorporate the student and their experience as part of their teaching so that students become student-teachers and teachers become teacher-students. That's all part of Ferrer's philosophy, and so when I saw that students were getting that, do you like do you understand what it does to the value of a child to have their circumstances, their life experiences validated by an authority in the classroom? It it, it raises their voice, it raises, it elevates who they are, and so I try to incorporate that style into my advisement, to really kind of say to families, like, look, I know you want your kid to be doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, but let's look at the natural skills and talents and abilities of our children. What do they care about? What are they good at? Let's try to find the right place and match them to that. And when you figure out where a student should be, it then becomes easier to figure out how to pay for it. Much of this school and college access work is around matching of schools. Sometimes the school that's allegedly best for you, or is, or that's allegedly the best, isn't the best for you. Maybe you need to be in an environment, in an environment where what you think is valued. And that student and that school, rather, would pay and put money and invest in your education to get you in the building. The name might not have been what the parent wanted, but the financial benefit of having the school invest in you allows your kid to flourish. And so that's sort of how I got into this work and where my philosophy is now.
0: Oh, my gosh. I am like... (laughs) blown away you know it's one thing when you know individuals like I know you personally and it's another thing for you to really go into the crux of everything that you do and it's like wow do I really know what you do (laughs) and so you know it's important to have these conversations it's important to have a podcast and these platforms where the youth of the world can share this information with individuals so that folks can know yeah you know you want your child to be the Indian chief we're from Caribbean background everybody wants you to be a doctor or a lawyer Right. But that might not be that might not be the purpose for your child, that might not be the path for your kid. And so not only are you wasting resources, but their time and their, you know, educational capacity in, in this area. So um, the population that you serve and is it demographic do you look at it as demographics or is it a certain child, a certain socioeconomic background, like how do you identify the population and then how do
1: you move them forward? So, there's two populations I serve, right, because I, I, I advise and I consult and, right. um, you know, quite frankly, I have to take on a certain number of folks to allow, you know, privately, to allow me to serve the population that I really love serving. And the population I really love serving are the most vulnerable students, the ones they're building the private prisons for. Oh, gosh. Okay. The other group that I serve, um, from a consulting standpoint, um, I take what I see in trends with students in my daily work and in in my consulting work, and I use it as an opportunity to consult school leadership um, as well as political figures when I can get those opportunities to share data and to share the lived experiences of students. And then I come with an ask about policy, because that's one of the things I'm even more concerned about than advising individuals and groups about how to get into college. We're losing so many along the way that I've had to really expand the scope of my work and the scope of my thinking. So your students are getting into trouble in some places because they don't know the basics. They don't know the basics about how to navigate today's society if you're in an urban area. They may not understand how to navigate and really focus on what's best for them in terms of life skills and life goals if they live in certain areas. And so I take this information back to policymakers, but then I also work to um, advise the students who need it the most. I want to, for example... I was having a really great discussion the other day about an educator, and we go back and forth sometimes because, you know, there's this thing about, oh, college isn't for everyone. I think that's crap. There there are 4,400 colleges in this country, and there are different kinds of colleges. So there is an educational setting for everyone. And it's not just about college. It's about education beyond what legally we are required to give a student. The learning for their life has to be, has to really be a lifetime learning, but it has to move beyond the K through 12 requirements. So if that's in the form of a certificate program, which will lead you into a vocation where you're working for the union in some sort of like electrical or plumbing or working with um, transit or working, you know, any of those jobs, that's valuable. And that needs to be done. And it can be done in career vocational trainings that may happen in a community college or where a community college may partner with the high school to offer that certificate for free. It's about helping now people identify what do you really care about? Not just say, oh, I heard about this great program for doing this and this and I think you should do it. That has nothing to do with the kids. That's about what you think they should be doing. And then for others, they may live in dangerous places. I have students who are gang members at my school and at my colleagues' schools who are working, who, who feel like they have to join these groups for a certain level of protection, for example, but they're trying to move on with their lives. So maybe for those students who are trying to avoid those affiliations, a community college with residence halls upstate might be the answer for them, but we've got to get very, very um, clear about what's in the best interest for our students to keep them out of the travail that can happen to them as they're trying to grow and as they're trying to move on. And, of course, there's a the regular old four-year college, which is still great, too.
0: Oh, uh, I have a question, Karen, and this is going to be like, it's going to sound kind of wild and weird and crazy, but, you know, sometimes you have to put things in the universe. Did you ever think of approaching a school um and say, hey, maybe you should have a community satellite program somewhere in the Adirondacks, somewhere outside of, you know, the metropolitan area so that you can provide a safe space, change space. And renewed my renewed, you know, sense of thought, now, because you're teaching them. Like, not when you go to college, it's a whole new, it's the adult, you're learning adulting along with, you know, your collegiate, um, your classwork. But then it's also, that space, space is also like a hate Did you ever think about something like that?
1: I'm just putting um. in you know what, I've, I've thought about the existing programs because there are some that do this work, some that do it well, some who don't do it well. Um, there are some, this is where I go back to really sort of advising the policy makers because I will say in a place like New York City, for example, we throw, we, we put a lot of money into solving these problems. Um. We may or may not always put that that financial investment in the right hands, or mm-hmm. we may not put it in the hands of people who can demonstrate through data their ability to effectively solve those problems. Um, that being said, for those educators who know about these opportunities to help our students get this vocational training, these associate degrees and these bachelor's degrees in and out of the city. For those of us who know about those opportunities, um, they don't have enough of a platform or, or a voice. I would love to see some of my educators who know. Like there are background networks who are pulling kids into their office and saying, I know what you do. I know what you like, and I know you need to get out of here. Call this guy. Matter of fact, come where, Come, come in such and such a day. I have a nice shirt and a nice pair of pants for you. I've called him to come and meet you on such and such a day. Meet me here. And they're doing that work, kind of like, <laughs> I mean, for, for lack of a better example, it's almost like the Underground Railroad with some of our educators. Right. Because we, for some of our educators, we got to fight our own schools, and fight the parents to give our students an opportunity. So some of this work is about getting the right educators um, well-situated to give the advice, um, training some more of our teachers who might want to help in certain ways and don't know how, working with some of our parents who are – some parents who are super-duper supportive and don't know what to do, they just want to know, they just want to do something, and they don't know what to do. And then there are some, some parents who are um, not as engaged and, and, quite frankly, might be putting up barriers because they're fearful. They're fearful for their children being away. Um, so those are some of the things that I would suggest. But they, to answer your question, some of these programs exist. Um, and 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 the good ones really just need to be um, promoted a lot more.
0: So I am going to go left for a bit. I do remember that there was um, an example of the great work that Dr. Karen was um, Karen does. There was a young lady who was applying to school, and everyone around her doubted her. And you basically started from point A with the essay all the way through to acceptance like when you get your a client let's say what's the ideal client because I want those who are listening who are looking for someone to help them with the process not only to get my child to the best school but you know let my child put off their best effort to be uh, a candidate for that school and that school may be out of someone's reach you know in that family dynamic however that mother or you are trying to tell that child It's not out of your reach How What's the work What does it look like What does the process look like
1: Um Generally The The ideal Folks that I work with Are People who have A particular problem People who You know I am not The person And, and I've actually Turned away Um Clients So I don't have An issue doing that If you don't need me Um, I'm going to give you some basic things to follow through with and and wish you well and check in with you. But there are some people who have particular problems that they cannot navigate. So, for example, some parents are paying a lot of money to send their kids to mediocre schools where the guidance counselors don't believe in those students and will not work for those students. I am there to assist those families. Um, the, I'm also there to sometimes coach parents because parents have sometimes fear about their students taking a chance in particular ways. And the student knows that they can do it because sometimes the student has better knowledge. Sometimes really our kids know more than us. Like we we have to submit to that concept. On occasion, they know more than we do because they're engaged in that space. And sometimes my only job is to help you see the vision through your child's eyes so that you can give them a chance so that we we can support that student to move forward um, in the way that they need to. And I find more oftentimes the best clients are the ones who have a sense of what to do, and they just need the real. Because the Mm -hmm. the college admission person of the school you're trying to get into may or may not tell you the real information. They may or may not tell you that, um, you know, this school is a reach for you, that you're kind of within range, but you're within the lower end of the range. And so you could get in, but we're not going to give you any money to come. And you really need money to come to this school. And so we're not going to give you any because you're on the lower end of our range. And you need somebody who can really tell you that to say, you know what, let's diversify your college list. Because, yeah, you may just get in, but you will have to raid every retirement fund and take all the money out of your house and take a private loan to do this school. Is it worth it? Is that name, is that affiliation with that school worth it? I had to tell a student, like, look, you know, your family does make good money, but do you want them to spend $70,000 to send you to Harvard to dance? Is there going to be a career benefit or a financial um, benefit on the back end as a dancer coming out of Harvard? Let's let's examine that. <laughs> so... Um, I can do all kinds of things. I like working with groups of students who um, they're not teaching writing very well at their school, and I can come in and, and, and give some pointers. I love talking to parents about money and giving, you know, as pointed advice as I can um, in a closed-door setting. hmm You know, it's really about problem solving within the college access space. You know, I'll I'll do some things, you know, as a favor to folks, you know, family, whatever, you know, read an essay here or there. But um, I I will much of my work even is about is about school choice. It's really about school choice and helping the kid to finally have a say about what they care about and what they want to spend the next four years and maybe the rest of their lives doing. And sometimes as, as parents, even though we really do know our kids best, the people who know our kids better, even a little bit better than us, is the student themselves. So that's the time where they can say, you know what, I know I've always said I wanted to be a doctor, and I do I do love science, but um, I'm more of an engineer. I'm more of a you know political type. I I, I think I want to do political science when I get to school, and just kind of helping the parents sit with that. So that, that's much of the work I do. If you have a problem, you your kid are buttonheads, call me. <laughs> it sounds like
0: you're more of like a a shrink for the parents too because they're totally like, Oh gosh, you know uh-huh. want to go So you now you you're helping the child apply for school but you're helping the, the parent apply their brain to the child is leaving and your child has a brain and your child knows what your child what they want to do.
1: Absolutely. That's not like of your work. Absolutely. Um much of this process and the reason why parents and students butt heads so much is because the parents rightfully are very focused. Everything we've ever done in our lives as parents are leading up to that last year. And there's a sense of pressure that the parents are really feeling along with the emotions of oh my gosh, this is the last year or two that I have with them and this is so important and all they wanna talk about is college. Whereas for some students, either they're, they're gung ho and into it or they're withdrawing or they're starting to argue with parents because they, they're they feeling the pressure themselves and they're retreating inward and not talking. And some of them, some of them, sadly, sabotage themselves to, they sabotage themselves to really take the parents, take whatever that parent really wants for them. Sometimes they sabotage themselves so that it's not an option. Oh, I just like joke it back for a second. That, that, it sounds
0: foreign, but it sounds so real. Yeah. It sounds yeah. so real. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, so Dr. Karen, you do all of these things, and um, I know that um, it was last summer you had some really great like lives. You were doing some Facebook lives right <laughs> around <laughs> admissions time. And yeah. my favorite, my favorite audience mm-hmm. member is this one when she says, "So your child got into school, but they have no housing, but the school has your money." <laughs> oh.
1: Yes, I remember that
0: (laughs) That was my favorite And I laughed hysterically Not from the plight of the child But it's so real And you were so annoyed Because you're like Because you don't listen I told you You must do A, B, C, D And I really um. I, I love that about the work that you do because you're like, okay, I'm going to get this one to you for free because you need it. Some of you are not with me. And you're sending <laughs> your kids to Atlanta and these different cities, and now you have to find a hotel. Um, and right. All these things. So I know you're going to be doing some webinars, and I know that you're going to be doing some informational because it's just a season for college applications. So where can parents and students and, and even schools and, and organizations who are trying to work with, you know, the population of kids that they're trying to get to go to school, where can they find you? And do you have anything coming up that you might want to share with the folks that you need them to know about?
1: Sure. So um I I actually have a page on Facebook um, that will be reactivated in the new year, called The Doctor is in. I have tried to <laughs> I have tried to sort of change up the way I work with that page um, to really sort of illuminate and give information, but also talk about some real topics that may not be academic that are derailing our kids um, from moving forward in in college and and career programs. And so um, I've tried, I'm going to really focus more on issues tangentially connected to moving on beyond high school because I think there are some things tripping us up. Certainly, Karen, we've had conversations offline about what's going on with um, the Me Too movement and consent and Mm -hmm. things like that. And just, even in my daily work, um, I am finding that there is uh, an increased need to talk to um, students about navigating once they're out of their parents' house, even as a high schooler, even in their personal and dating lives, and and, and some of the things that are getting students tripped up. And I think I told this story in the past about um, being an admission officer and receiving a packet of information. Um, And when I opened the packet, you know, and it had the student's name on the front, and mind you I am at the college in the admission office and we opened up the packet and it was a f- maybe 15 to 20 nude photos of a student mm-hmm. And with a letter from the student's ex-partner saying, I want you to know the type of person who wants to come to your school. So immediately I have to engage with law enforcement because this is sexual harassment. This is stalking. This is all different kinds of things. I have to alert the student to say, hey, listen, we're not going to hold this against you. Um, but we just received this packet, this is what's going on, please, you know, head to your local authorities and file charges on who you think it might be. But in some scenarios, that what happened to that young lady has just ruined their chances of admission to some of the schools that received the packet. So it's things like that that are tripping our kids up. Not necessarily the academics and the testing. And so I'm gonna be using that platform to talk about more broad issues for students and for parents, aside from money and testing and all these things that are also very important. Um also the more I think and do this work, I think it's time for me to finally get that book going. So you know, I'll I'll say it in plain, plain air uh my book will be out by fall 2019 um if you see me on the street certainly tap me on the shoulder and say how that how's that book coming and that will remind me to run into my office <laughs> This way I'll get quickly back into my office, leave brunch, get into my office, and bang that book out because I think there are lessons learned that I could certainly stand to share with parents and that you have in your hand and can refer to when you can't. Retain. I am excited.
0: I am excited. I'm excited for so many reasons. And the main the first reason is, you know, listeners, I tell you, when you read the book, there's a section called squad. And if your squad is not about it, then <laughs> so you don't need to have them in there. And she, That's it. Dr. Karen is part of my squad. And we get on each other about the things that we know we need to do. And her book is next. Everyone is fire underwater, and this woman here, when it comes to education, your child, and getting your child further into this higher ed movement, this is a person that you need to deal with and talk to. So, Dr. Karen, I have to ask you something, okay, What do Hmm. you do with all the work that you do working with other people's kids? You have your own kids. You have your own family. You have our friend's kids. You have us that we brunch with. What do you do to make sure that mentally you're in a great space? How do you recalibrate?
1: Well, yes, I, you know, I feel like half of these questions are the reminders for what I'm supposed to be working on. And and that recalibration question is definitely one. And um, what I would say is I'm not good at shutting down and recalibrating. I've gotten much, much better this year, but I still have work to do. And so the first thing I do is shut up, just close my mouth, stop talking, say less. Because the talking um, engages my mind, and it makes me back in the work mode. It puts me right back in the work mode. So sometimes I have to just be quiet and look around and just observe and just be, you know, just be thoughtful. Just be thoughtful and, you know. Even if it doesn't put me into a direct workspace, it puts me into a thought space that allows new ideas to come in, that allows rest for my mind that's always always racing. Um, and I also, to that end, in addition to being quiet more, is to say no more, because I need my energy for the work for the things that matter. My my husband always gets on me because my canceling of events and slowing down is most people's busy. Um, I'm very, very, very active all the time. My schedule is into second week of December in terms of saying yes to things. And so trying to say no more is about self-preservation and giving me the energy. Um, I'm a fire sign, and, you know, if you believe in – that stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'm a Leo and I am all over the place. That is my natural tendency to be all over the place, but high energy people like me and high, um, highly active people like me burn out very, very easily. And so sometimes, you know, in the past, my rest would just be to work until I pass out. So now I'm, I'm moving forward and just saying no and sitting down and being quiet. Um, I might begin doing some things like coloring and, and I mean that on everything. Um just coloring and, and sitting still and just <laughs> and just be a quiet for a change. I, I yeah. So the recalibration happens when I take care of myself in those ways. And then of course eating brunch. Which kinda leads to more work. So I have to figure that piece out, but that's where my head is right now. Yeah. Eating, eating and being quiet. You know,
0: yes. uh, ladies and gentlemen, when we eat, we talk. And when we eat, here comes a bright idea and here comes another platform that we're trying to create. Oh, and my something God. Else that we put so eating with us is not just hanging out and chilling. Someone is walking away with a new business plan or Right.
1: Right, it's which is a, part of the problem, actually, if you're trying to it's sit it's still and be very quiet. It's problematic. You're playing a whole Unless company over front. Get.
0: Right. Over oh, front. Me, yeah, labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend is the only time that we allow ourselves to just – and, nope, they were plotting for corn soup. So, people, this is like <laughs> – we, we have a lot going on. Dr. Karen, I am so happy that you were able to – get on the podcast and share this information with us. I'm sure that we are going to be getting questions about this and share it with you. And I will be placing all of your um, social media uh, platform contacts right on the description of this podcast so ladies and gentlemen if you have any questions for this beautiful woman you will be able to get that information in the subject matter of the podcast thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure thank you
1: Thanks for listening. Leave or send a message and share this podcast with your friends. Follow Karen on Twitter and Instagram at Karen St. Hilaire or visit www.KarenStHilaire.com.